Hi everyone, welcome to um, Season 2, Episode 14 of Photography Chat. We're uh, going to have AJ Holmes on here. Uh, we're just going to get him invited into the chat and we can kick it off here. Hope everyone's having a good week. What's up, Michael? How you doing? All right. Hopefully AJ pops in here. There he is. All right, let's invite him into the video. Hello. Hey. How's it going? All right, how are you? Oh, you know, just living the dream. I'm going to try and pop in some headphones here, see if I can hear you a little bit better. Sure thing. Uh, I am like super not tech heavy. Can you hear me? Yeah. Killer. I'm clear. All right. This is, I mean, I, I shoot eight by 10 films, so. <laughs> and and I, I love those sample photos that you sent. They're beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, eight, eight by 10. I haven't made the leap yet into eight by 10. But that's um, probably in the next few months. I'm uh, I'm hoping to make that jump in day by ten. It is. Um, I don't know. It's really. It's like really easy for me to get super nostalgic about the process, but there's nothing like it for me. I mean, I love I love shooting my four by five cameras. It's a lot of fun, and there's certainly more films available in four by five a more readily available, I should say, but, um, and the expense of eight by 10 is pretty great, but there's just nothing like it. Yeah. I imagine like the cost per shot has to be pretty substantial on eight by 10. Eh? Yeah, it can be. Uh, I mostly shoot, um, eight by 10 Portra 400, um, which is the better part of 20 to $22 a sheet for the film. Oh shit, before process, that's just like raw film. That's US dollars before processing, before scanning, wow. 22 US dollars a sheet. I don't know what I'm getting into wanting to buy an 8 by 10 right now. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I, and they're like every day I wish I liked black and white film more. Um, that said, I am convincing myself to like it. Um, okay. You know, because it's like, I also, for me, um, there are certain moments that make sense to be in color and others that make sense to be black and white. And I try not to force one all the time. Yeah. And it's convenient when a moment makes sense in black and white because it's a quarter of the cost. Yeah, I, I've been trying, well, not, I've been making more of an effort to just even in my 35 millimeter practice, shoot a bit more black and white. Mm -hmm. um, because I started challenging myself on my Instagram feed to alternate between three color and three black and white. So I was just like, I need to start, start shooting more black and white because like most of what I have is all color. Um, yeah. That's like helped me create more black and white. Right. Um, I still like shooting color so much more. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. Cause like for me, um, I've been meaning to buy more eight by 10 film holders for the better part of a year. And there's been, you know, like having to pay rents and utilities and put gas in your car and, and buy film. It's like, how do you, 
you know, how do you find uh, the time or resources to buy another five or 10 eight by 10 film holders? But I've gotten to the point where it's like, no, I just really need to because I have five of them. So I can have 10 sheets loaded at once. And I get really torn because it's like, I want to shoot black and white, but I also want to shoot color. At the same time, I can only load 10 sheets. Um, it's, uh, I have, I have found that like in recent developing and then scans that have been done of, of some of my recent work, I'm warming back up to black and white. And for the first time in probably a decade, I'm shooting HP five again. Um, HP five and eight by 10 is not the same <laughs> as HP five and one twenty. And I know, I know there are the same. I think I just, your thought process is so different on a view camera that you're naturally going to elicit a different result. Okay. Um, but there's just something so unique about some of the files I've been working with. And I don't know. So I think I will start to do more black and white, but then at the same time I'm torn because the, like the three bodies of work I've been working on are exclusively large format color film. So I've kind of, I'm kind of stuck there yeah. uh, in a way. So I guess I'll just, you know, for future work, I'm going to keep black and white more top of mind, I think. That's not a bad idea. I mean, uh, so just to sort of do a quick intro for people that have popped on and not familiar with you, uh, maybe just yeah. tell, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, first off, thanks for scheduling this and um, reaching out. I think we met on Clubhouse, which That's is... Right, yeah, absolutely awesome platform. But uh, yeah, for many of you have probably never heard my name before. Um, my name's AJ Holmes. I'm a film photographer originally from about an hour south of Nashville, Tennessee in the, in the U.S. Um, now I'm based in Ventura County, California, about an hour north of L.A. Um, I've been shooting films since... December 2006. Um, I'd been asking for a film camera for a couple years and my folks bought me one. Well, I've been asking for a camera for a couple years and they bought me a film camera in 2006. One of the last new Canon film cameras made and uh, were just hell bent that if I wanted to be a photographer, I would shoot film. Yeah. Uh, I like butterfly effect. So many things have happened since then, but had that not happened, I probably wouldn't be on this call right now. And um, anyways, um, never really went, never really stuck with film super hardcore until I went to uh, university for photography in 2014 through 2016. I got my bachelor's degree in photography and really just went head over heels for all things medium and large format. Um, fast forward to today, the more recent part of my introduction would be that about two years ago, um, I helped to co-found a company called Negative Supply. Um, we design, manufacture, and retail and wholesale uh, film scanning equipment for all formats, 35 millimeter through 8x10. That's awesome. It, it definitely keeps me busy, and that's probably the main reason why I haven't shared more work the last few months. I have so much that's been processed and a lot that's been scanned, but um, I stay pretty busy day to day. So I'm hoping to well, share more well, soon. 
holy shit i so this is a this is a moment for me here yeah Kodak just joined us <laughs> awesome that's What's amazing up, hey look and i'm wearing like that's great my kodak girl shirt <laughs> that is so good wow that's holy shit i just need a minute for that <laughs> yeah um naturally cool. and let's see i don't know if i can tilt this up but all my kodak portrait boxes above my head um yeah <laughs> thank you for mega fan kodak you know i've I kind of have Kodak in here. It's, it's Cinestill 50D, so it's like Kodak. That paint. counts. You know, it, it counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, that's wild. Thank you for joining us, Kodak. Yeah. Uh, if you want to sponsor the photo chat at some time, slide <laughs> my DMs. That'd be cool. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, a little bit obsessed, yeah. I, a little bit, yeah. At least a little bit. I've packed most of my stuff, but... Um, I have like, you know, four or five Kodak shirts. And then like in my office here, where I got to spin the camera around, I've got some stickers up on here. So there's, I got the Eastman 5247, because that's where all of our uh, favorite childhood dreams come from. And the Kodak. That's awesome. Because, you know, shout out to Rochester. And then like, yeah. Word to Biggie up there. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, so how did you get into large format, though? Um, yeah, as about almost seven years ago now, I was at Middle Tennessee State University, and I was getting ready for uh, a road trip um, that I was going to be taking with a friend. And I, I kind of got into large format a couple times over a year or two, and then it eventually stuck. But um, I'd gone on this road trip, and I shot only medium format film, well, some 35, but mostly medium format with that Pentax 6x7. Nice. Great camera. And, um, you know, I came back and I was looking at all the negatives. I processed them in the darkroom at school. And um, one of our professors, he kind of walked by one day when I was in one of the hallways on a light table looking at 40 or 50 rolls of film. And he took a loop out and was looking at some of the images and, you know, basically to the effect of these are great, but um, you should have taken a four by five. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, he asked me, he said, you know, come by my office sometime the next couple of days and let's, let's see what we can kind of dig up for you to use. And I, you know, I went by his office that week and he had a, Toyo folding four by five camera, multiple lenses, film holders, uh, cable release, a bag, focusing cloth, a loop, everything you needed to get started. And he's like, more or less, you know, you've got to do this. You got to try this. And um, that like, that kind of nudge to try something new, something that I told myself for years I would never do but it coming from someone I respected as much as I did. And um, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think twice about it. I still remember the first photo I made with the camera. It was a portrait of my grandmother um, with expired, um, I think it was Delta 100, four by five. Um, the sharpness of that image 
the just quality, the gravity of a large format photograph, like for the first one I'd ever taken, wasn't, you know, it's not, a, it's not an award-winning portrait by any means, but I was instantly hooked. And, you know, the next week, I, I don't know, I was ordering Portra 400 and Tri-X and everything I could get my hands on and shooting as much of it as I could. And now that was the better part of seven years ago. And I've probably shot between four by five and eight by 10, a couple thousand sheets of film, um, mostly color. And I've taken the four by five and now the eight by 10, but more so the four by five to over 40 states in the US. And just have tons of work that I'm still working through, working on, developing, scanning. Most everything's developed. I'm really uh, trying to scan everything and edit everything and figure out what I'm saying with a lot of it. But hundreds of things to share. That's amazing. Uh, Jeffrey had a question here. When you develop yeah. your 10 film, how many sheets do you normally develop at a time? Uh, that's a great question. So. I don't actually develop my own 8x10 right now. And this is a really, I guess, great opportunity for me to say Mark Sperry at Northeast Photographic uh, develops all of my sheet film right now. Um, I don't have a Jobo at the Negative Supply headquarters. But when I was still in school, I did all my own 4x5 with a Jobo CPP2 and an expert drum 3010. And for 4x5 with that drum, you can do as the last two digits in the tank would suggest 10 sheets at a time, which is pretty killer. And then for eight by 10, I was using, uh, well, we had Jobo 3005 drums, which you can do five sheets at a time, which is pretty killer when you look at most modern alternatives for eight by 10. Uh, but I'm pretty sure um, Mark at Northeast Photographic is using uh, some sort of an automated Jobo system. But for example, you can do five sheets at a time, but I was away from the negative supply office uh, most of December, all of January and all of February uh, working remotely because of COVID and um, also trying to work on a long-term body of work, photographing my parents and their family home. And, um, you know, I, I think about a month ago, I sent Mark over 90 sheets that needed to be processed um, and I have like another 200 that need to go, but I'm not in any huge rush because the amount of time it takes to work through even five large format files, um, uh, is tremendous. So, but yeah, if you are looking for maybe not the easiest or least expensive way to develop eight by 10, but certainly the most convenient in a home setting, it's a Jobo with a 3005 drum. Uh, bar none, it's the best option. Nice. Good to mm -hmm. know. I have not gotten into um, doing large format processing at home yet. Um, I did buy recently at the recommendation of uh, Dave Rollins. Um, Dave's great. Yeah, Dave. I love Dave. Dave's yeah, he's awesome. People ever. And one of my all-time favorite photos ever taken of me is is one that Dave took um, when I met him in Denton, Texas in 2019. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Like he he shot it on his Graflex with the Aero Ektar 
and um it's iconic uh those those arrow actars <laughs> i there's very few things i have like envy over but the the arrow actars are, are one that they definitely definitely have a little bit of envy because like dave was rolling around with his graflex with one and then armand at the Denton camera exchange he had one on a uh, a crown graphic nice but, uh you know I have a picture of him taking a picture of me with this like massive arrow actar on his four by five and they're awesome. Yeah. Beautiful, but not quite there yet. It, it's that's like one of the few, cause I, I'm primarily do portraits uh, with both four by five and eight by 10. It's one of the few lenses I it, like in the portrait world that I haven't really used for four by five yet. And I'd love to one day. Um, but I was going to mention as well, you said you haven't gotten into uh, processing sheet film at home, but the Mod 5.4 adapter for the Patterson tanks is so, such, it's so cool. I had a mod, or I used a Mod 5.4 at the gallery that I'm part of. Yeah. It made me want to never process my film because it kept popping off and like, I would like have my sheets would be like stuck to the side of the tank and stuff. Yeah. Um, but Dave recommended that I buy a bees reel. Yeah, those are cool too. So I've picked one up, but I haven't had a chance because I'm in the process of like packing up and moving my life to the West Coast right now. So. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, whereabouts? I'm moving to Vancouver at the end of the okay. month. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it's like on my um, sort of radar before I finish packing up and moving to like try the bees reel out because. I'd like to load up all of my four by five holders and like shoot some four by five as I um, make my way across the country. Oh yeah. Um, that is something I've like, so even though I I'm from Tennessee and I'm in California now, it's about 2000 miles each way home. Um, I usually drive when I go back home because even though it takes a few days to do it, you see so much, so much countryside. And I'll usually load 10 or 12 four by five holders. And yeah, no, there, there's, it's so much fun to do that. So I hope, I hope, I hope you can take the time and uh, you are able to shoot some four by five. Are you, I guess, driving across? Yeah, so when I moved here in 2017, I just like rented a U-Haul trailer and towed it behind my my station wagon, and I'm going to be doing the same way, same thing on the way back. Um, okay. Unfortunately, I hadn't started shooting until I moved to Toronto in 2017, so like, I didn't have much to document like my first drive across the country, other than like some shitty iPhone stuff and. Uh, sure some shots that my friend took with his Olympus digital that drove with me. So I'm going to be taking it fairly easy on this trip. Cause I'm also doing it by myself. So I don't want to like burn myself out or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to have the four by five, uh, in the car, uh, the Polaroid 195, a few other Polaroids. Um, I just traded my Nikon F3 kit for a GW 690 and a Zorky S. <laughs> and the Zorky was kind of more like an interesting curiosity, but I'd always wanted a Texas Leica. And, yeah. Um, it's They're great. Yeah. 
look, those are those are awesome. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of six by seven, and so I had the GW six seventy two okay. instead of the GW six ninety, and that's another one of those cameras. It's an interesting phenomenon right now, but you know everything is getting more expensive uh, and like crazy more expensive, multiple times more expensive, and um. I, I think I paid like $400 for my GW670 and they're like 1600, 2000 now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to buy another one. I, I was looking to buy one recently and I thought, no, I'm going to keep investing into large format gear. Um, I couldn't believe, I mean, just how <laughs> it's wild how expensive some of this stuff has gotten. It's, it is pretty mental. Like I, I do have an eight by 10 lined up, like, um, Armand's hanging on to an eight by 10 field camera for me. Um, that'll probably awesome. pick up in a few months. But one of the things that I really wanted to do with eight by 10, um, is do eight by 10 Polaroids. Yeah. And, uh, finding a processor that doesn't cost a freaking mint is damn near impossible. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks to um, one of the problems that really exists across the industry now, because it's like, okay, you can get 8x10 Polaroid film these days, but to my knowledge, is anyone making a new modern manual processor? No, no one's making a new processor. There is someone making new holders. Right, and that's awesome. That's another piece of the puzzle, but it like the issue it brings up for me, it's like, you know, I remember a decade ago when I was really trying to get back into shooting film, really, I guess it was eight or nine years ago now, um, there was this fight to keep film alive. It felt like that. It felt like an actual war. Yeah. Um, you know, Kodak is pushing Portra 400 and Portra 160 and 800 into the wedding market, really trying to push into commercial portraiture and, uh, commercial wedding work and they did so with huge success triax all these things like really started to take off and had some new relevance the cinema industry obviously was really what kind of carried the baton i guess yeah but now i look at okay film's here to stay that's pretty clear um it seems like kodak and ilford can't make enough of the stuff all the while fuji seems to be sprinting away for reasons unbeknownst to me um because they make incredible stuff sure i mean i i'll save my opinions for food oh yeah yeah i have a few (laughs) as well um i'm looking at a pro pack of 400h here um so yeah for sure i i I love shooting fp100 like that's Mm -hmm. what i mainly shoot in my four by five is fp100 and yeah it's Great. Every time I open up an, another pack of it, I just hate Fuji that much more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I tell you, like, the most recent example for me, um, I love Ektachrome in 35mm. Yeah. It's great. Um, but I had this thought the other day. I'm like, I want to get some Provia 100 in 35mm. And I went to add a few rolls to the shopping cart. And then it's like, no, don't do that. Like, I don't want to start to love another film that is going to be just torn out of my hands uh, with no notice. Right? 
So, so the thing like Fuji's like, oh, I, I see that you like this product. We're going to stop selling it. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I, I see that you like this product. Oh, and also it's incredibly lucrative and every commercial photographer on earth shoots a ton of it. But, oh, well, yanks it off their product line. Um, like Tim, Tim's comment here is great. Fuji puts the FU in film. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's so good. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like them killing pack film was like the most unforgivable thing for me. And then mm -hmm. like I got I got into the 400H thing. I I love 400. It's great. And then like that was a huge bummer. Superior 1600. I yeah was super bummed that they killed that one. Like yeah, that one was sad. And then like the another more recent one. It's like when they got rid of Acros 100. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've, yeah. um, you know, well, that was really unfortunate because that film had basically no reciprocity correction out in two minutes. So I would use it for long exposure work at night um, in certain like creative applications and there's nothing like it. And when they got rid of it, it was obviously awful. And then now you have Acros 2, which I question if Fuji's even the ones making that um, but they're not making it in sheet film so you used to be able to get Acros all the way up to 8x10 and yeah I've got some Acros ready load 4x5 sheets still that's awesome yeah that's that's probably um, worth a pretty good bit of money now but um, yeah I, like I I would love to to buy Acros 102 and 8 by 10 but I can't because it's not available and I'm sure it never will be. So, you know, the next best thing is I'm shooting Ilford Delta 100 and 8 by 10 and it's a beautiful product. I'm glad it still exists. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, Fuji had incredibly unique products that truly no one else could replicate or just didn't replicate. And it's gone, it's gone, but... I mean, so you got to be grateful for what's there, I guess. That's very true. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of stoked though that I managed to find someone here that has a Polaroid eight by ten processor that they don't want a <laughs> arm and a leg for. So that's awesome. To Toronto, I'm going to be picking that up. Um, Cause it'd be cool just to play with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Brian's his x-ray film. I've heard of like some really cool, like, so Sarah, uh, who I interviewed last week, I think I'm, I mix up on all the times, but, um, I, I talked to her recently and, um, she was playing with some Polaroid x-ray film, which yeah. was just wild. I didn't realize Polaroid made eight by 10 x-ray film. Like so crazy. They did. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's fun stuff. I mean, another thing too, that's, really a lot of fun is shooting paper negatives. I mean, I, I used to do that a lot. And then with an eight by 10 holder, you literally just slide a sheet of eight by 10 paper into the holder. Um, and you can load it with a safe light on. It's such a friendly way to start shooting large format film. So do you shoot that as a negative and then. And what I've always done is I've gone and then contact printed it. Um, oh. Yeah. Which is another process, but. It's a lot of fun. And then you just develop it like you would paper in a dark room. And you can have a safe light on the whole time. Um, yeah, it's a fun process. And it's really 
the main reason why I was shooting paper negatives the last time I did it was to check for light leaks and really make sure everything was working properly on the camera mm -hmm. uh, without burning through super expensive film. That's an interesting point because like I have a shit ton of eight by ten paper that I bought recently because there was a dude that sold he was selling a bunch of Portra black and white um, photo paper and some like other ones and like <laughs> I think it's been quite a while since Kodak has made photo paper so it's, it's been a minute yeah yes but I, I got I got some really interesting results from some old agfa black and white paper that i really like so i was like you know maybe this kodak will be just as like janky and interesting too um so yeah it'd be cool to play with that in eight by ten i didn't think of that yeah it's it's a it's just another thing to try um i actually got some pretty cool results with it i think you rated around iso six so you know definitely uh, yeah, definitely on a a tripod and no wind, and uh, you need to have some time, but you can get beautiful results out of it. Or if you're doing portraits, you could do it like tin type style, where you just put the strobes like right up on the subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's I've done that. I did that with uh, when I was still at school. We had pro photos and 2400 watt second packs and. Um, that's a quick way to expose, you know, ISO six paper negatives. Uh, and Mitch, yes, I see your comment there about using RC paper. You're absolutely right. The last time I shot paper negatives, um, I didn't have RC paper. I just had fiber base and it worked fine. There was, I felt like a little more resistance actually sliding it into the holder. Okay. Um, I guess it's a little bit thicker and has a bit more of a tooth to it, mm. but it worked, although RC would have been better for that application. So when you do the contact, you just put a, a blank sheet, like just on top of the one that you exposed and... Yeah, that's, and I, I've only done it like twice, but the last time I did it, yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I, and it's been five, six years since I've done that, I guess. But, and I used to, I used to really more so contact print color four by five in the RA4 darkroom. And I really loved that process. I was hoping I had that portfolio box here, but I don't. It's back at my apartment and I'm at the office right now. But um, the cool thing about contact printing four by five work is that everything outside of that image area, when I was doing RA4 contacts goes black. So I would contact print a four by five negative onto eight by 10 paper. You have this huge black frame. Oh, cool. Uh, it's really cool. And then you can put like a white mat over it and you have this white and then black and then the photo. Dang, you're giving me all sorts of ideas to fuck with. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Damn, that's neat. Man, <laughs> like I'm just, I'm thinking of all these things to do with like you know, large format adventures once, uh, well, just even with the four by five because I could like just get some four by five paper and then try out that uh, that eight by 10 trick. And it, yeah. I like that idea of being able to just use the um, the dark light to load it because I hate doing stuff in the dark. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like truly one of the friendliest ways to warm up to the process. But I, I'll say, you know, 
the first couple of times you load four by five film, whether it's in a changing tent or a changing bag or, you know, a bathroom with the lights off and a towel stuffed under the door, because I've, I've done all of those. Um, once you've done that a time or two, you don't even like, you almost don't even have to think about it. And I think that's the same, I guess that same truth uh, is valid for so many things in film photography, but in particular, large format photography. It feels really intimidating, really daunting, complicated, cumbersome, expensive, whatever. Uh, the expense is something that I guess doesn't really fade. But all the other things you can work around and you get used to, you adapt to. And um, it really just becomes second nature if you stick with it and you make it a primary part of your workflow. Because uh, it's the same like for me now with 8x10. I like thinking about loading holders and what lenses and things to use. All that is super easy now. It's just more of focusing what's on the ground glass and okay. really working with your subject. Nice. Very Tim little brought, interruption. Yeah. Tim brought up an interesting memory here. So Policon 2018, it was the first Policon I went to in Denton, Texas. And Ian Kaznoff was there and he was showing off his trailer camera. Like he had this oh like on like it was a, a car trailer that he had converted into a camera. And like I think just a little over half of it was the camera and then the other half of it was a dark room. That's and incredible. For him to like frame and focus, he would literally have to like drive his truck backwards and <laughs> move it around. Oh no. <laughs> he did focusing and stuff. And then he could do some fine focus with the ground glass because he had this huge, like, it was a massive, like, on a wooden frame ground glass that he could move inside of the camera. And so that's where he would sort of do, like, the finer focus. And That's it, awesome. It was an industrial uh, process lens, and it was, like, that big around. Like, it was just this mighty lens <laughs> just sticking out of the back of this trailer it was it was so wild and he's like it's basically like an instant photo because he had it down to where once he was all in focus and everything he could go from uh exposure to print in like just about three minutes wow yeah that's that's impressive what size is it like 30 by 40 inches or so yeah, I think that they were huge. Like, yeah. it, it was funny because I have a 35 mil shot somewhere of like a little pack film shot that someone took of this motorcycle. <laughs> and he's holding up this little pack film shot next to like the huge, like ultra large format shot he took of the same motorcycle. That's awesome. And it was, it was wild. Like he was, that was an interesting thing to, to see that. And he said like the, the first trailer camera he tried to make was like with a tiny utility trailer with like a little and larger lens. And he said that was like, he was like dying from the heat inside of this little <laughs> tiny wooden box. And was like, yeah, this is, I need to go bigger. So like, I think it was like all air conditioned and everything too. Like it was uh, quite the setup. That's one hell of a project. I mean, yeah, that's, that's awesome. A dark room on wheels and a camera on wheels. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous hired, of that. I think he got hired by um, your guys' parks department to, like, shoot a bunch of, like, parks with with the camera. Yeah, okay. I think I know who you're talking about then. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, dream job, for sure. Yeah, he's he was a really cool cat. Like, that was, um, 
don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to a Policon, but I highly recommend checking one out whenever the world opens up again. Yeah, that I like put that on the list, right? I mean, there's like so many things I want to go back to, like Photo Plus and Imaging USA and Society for Photographic Education conferences. I used to love those. Um, really hoping that those do resume one day, all of these things. Um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been weird not being able to see all my friends and stuff. Yeah, it's been pretty weird. Um, yeah, here too. And like even me going back home at Christmas, I got a COVID test before I left to drive there. And I quarantined when I got there and got another COVID test. And, you know, just to like try to make absolutely certain. And it's like, you know, wearing a mask around my family uh, really all the time. Um, you know, thankfully, both of my parents are fully vaccinated now. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a weird over a year now. It's been very strange. And it's also been really tricky for me because the body of work I've been most focused on for years now, I guess about over six years now, is photographing my parents. Um, they're usually fairly vulnerable up-close portraits with wider-angle lenses on view cameras. They're social distancing be damned, right? I mean, it's like you're not going to be six-plus feet away. I'm going to be usually within three or four feet of my parents. So that made that super tricky. Um, but I just got longer lenses. We started taking more portraits outside. I would wear a mask, usually be 12 or 15 feet away with a mask on. And it, that felt better. But you can see this change in my work because of that. Yeah. Um, and now I'm not sure if I'm going to keep working that way or go back wider and closer. But it's just interesting how it literally has affected everything down to the smallest detail. Yeah, I, I shot with a really large, like, long lens on my 4x5 for the first time today. I did, like, a distance portrait for a friend in a park. And um, <laughs> I, the last time I was in, well, in 2019, I bought a 210 millimeter uh, Schneider off of Armand at the Denton Camera Exchange. <clears throat> and I tried to fuck around with it a few times before on my Wista. Yeah. Like, I didn't have enough, like... Um, Rail extension. Yeah, well... So <laughs> I've had the Wista for a while, and I didn't realize until, like, two weeks ago that it did have a rail extension in it. <laughs> okay. And so it's just like okay, so now it actually can work. So today was the first time I actually successfully took a shot with the 210, but it was really strange to be like 20 feet away from the person that I was shooting because that yeah. was so long. Yeah, 210 is, um, it's actually now, I think because of COVID-19, 210 is my favorite focal length on 4x5. But what I do with mine, um, there's a portrait I didn't send you. I'll 
I'll have to send it to you later just so you can see what I'm talking about. But okay. this one portrait of my grandmother where she was about five feet from the camera. But my four by five, I use a, a Chamonix H1, this, this guy back here. Um, it compresses within about two inches, but it will also go out to 15 inches, 14 and a half inches. So I can almost do a one-to-one -one magnification a one-to-one -one portrait with a 210 lens. And so, yeah, yeah so I, I like to kind of use these longer lenses to do really up-close, super-magnified portraits. And because they have such good compression and longer lenses are, at least the ones that I've used, are typically super-corrected. Um, sharpness is insane. They have large image circles, so you can employ a wide range of movements if you need it. And that 210 has become my favorite lens. It's actually about the only lens I even use on my 4x5 now. Nice. Yeah, like my main lens has usually been the 135 on my 4x5. But the 210, like, you know, after today, I was like, I really want to fuck with this thing a bit more. Like, it was, it was pretty cool, like, finally figuring out how to actually use it on my camera. Right. I felt like a total noob when I like, I'm like, what does this little lever do? I'm like, holy shit, it's a rail extension. <laughs> that, yeah, that's pretty great. That is pretty great. Um, <laughs> I, I will say if you really like 210, even though it feels like it's a mile long on 4x5, I'd encourage you to try a 300 sometime. Well, I'll probably end up getting a 300 at some point when I go 8x10. And then yep. like, it's something that I could... <clears throat> switch onto plate so I could use it on the four by five and use it on the eight by 10. Well, I, I do that with my 300 and um, a lot of people would tell you to go with like a Nikkor 300 M that's the F nine. I think it's a Copa one and that's great. But um, I think F nine is just too slow. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you're focusing or you're trying to do an available light portrait, um, sometimes you need to be able to open to five, six, but in exchange, you're going to be in a Copal 3 shutter. It's going to be a huge piece of glass, really heavy. But I have a Schneider Simar S 300 5.6, and it's on a Linhoff plate. So I can put it on my 4x5. I can put it on my 8x10. And it's pretty great because of that adaptability. Um, so, and that's like a four or $500 lens, which as far as eight by 10 lenses go, it's pretty cheap. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Most of what I sent you was made with that lens. Now is it a Schneider 300? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And I have a, I have a 210 as well that I use more and more. Um, but, you know, again, that kind of got, stomped on by covid because 210 on 8 by 10 is fairly wide um so you have to be pretty close for a portrait which i usually love to do but not so much in covid no but that will that'll resume at some point hopefully <clears throat> I, I have a 75 mil for my 4 by 5 that i've like tried to use a few times but oh, it's so damn wide <laughs> uh, almost all of my portraits of my parents the first two years I was shooting was with a 75 on 4x5. Holy shit. 
Yeah. I, when I say it, right up on him. Oh yeah. When I say wide portraits where I'm like literally in your face, um, there's a real interesting dialogue that goes on when you have this big, weird looking camera. It's really disarming in a way. Um, but you know, like the first couple of times I photographed my parents with it, they thought it was weird or whatever. And what, you know, what is this thing? And then like two years later, we're still doing it. And they don't even, they don't even acknowledge the camera. Like if it's in their kitchen or in the living room or something, they'll know it's there. Cause it's always there. There's I'm anytime I'm home, there's a four by five or an eight by 10 set up in a common area where I can grab it if I see something. And uh, I've just gotten so used to it. And, but it was, again, it was just so weird switching. Cause I used to, like I said, used to use a 75. So I went from a 75 to a 210 on four by five. Huge. The work feels totally different. Um, but I kind of like it more in a weird way. So now it's like, you know, three years of really just using a 75, occasionally a 90. Um, and now let me triple that and switch to a 210 and occasionally a 300. Dave, Dave uh, just joined us here and he says, I find people are more open to portrait with his four by five. Uh, try asking someone to take a portrait with an iPhone and it'll be weird. But somehow it's, it's true. not large format. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 110XL on 8x10, that's a killer suggestion. The widest lens I have, I have a NyQuil 120SW, which is pretty cool. And Dave as well, 210 as a portrait lens on 4x5. Absolutely. I mean, the compression, the background separation you can get wide open or even slightly stopped down because of it being a longer focal length. Um, it's really, there's nothing nothing else like it. And then to your point as well, Dave, about um, people are almost intrigued or even I found they're, it's flattering to ask to make someone's portrait with a large format camera. But I have this rule of thumb now when I'm out shooting, even during COVID, um, I've taken my eight by 10 several places. I think I sent you one of these photos as well, actually, um, not certain. But if someone walks up to me out in public and I have the eight by 10 set up and I'm making portraits and they ask questions, uh, they're usually just always really intrigued. My kind of go-to rule now is as long as I feel like they're going to be remotely okay with it, I ask to make their portrait. Like if you find it intriguing, let's continue with that intrigue. Um, I've got some film holders here. Yeah. And like, this one day I had to make that decision because this incredible person walks up and the light's great. And all I had loaded was Portra 400. I think I spent a hundred dollars on film photographing a complete stranger. Um, but they were some of my favorite photos. Um, yeah, these cameras just, they, they spur conversation. And people flock to, in particular, the 8x10. If you just set it up on a beach or something, I can't, and it's hard to even do that now if you're trying to do work where you're not going to be bothered by somebody. Yeah. Because somebody's going to say something. 
in the age of everything being an iPhone. It, um, it's true, yeah. And and like everyone I've talked to so far that's like made it into the eight by ten realm, like you know, speaks such greatness of it. Like I, uh, I had um, Jason Kummerfeld, uh, aka Grainy Days, on recently, and like, yeah, he's a he's a recent convert to the eight by ten cult, and um, <laughs> awesome, really really enjoy it. And like that was. His his videos kind of made me want to shoot eight by ten even more because um, I was like, "Fuck, this thing is amazing!" I don't want to shit my pants when I push the shutter too. <laughs> oh gosh, that's great, um, Brian. Your question there: um, Does the money stop you from shooting? Does the cost stop you from um, shooting film? I, for me, um, not so much. I mean, it used to, but like, what I mean by that is like, I'll, I've gotten to the point where I'll just not go out to dinner really at all. And I don't buy expensive like coffees every day. And, um, you know, I like, I've been wearing the same pair of boots for like eight years and the same flannels for a decade, you know, like I, am really tight in certain areas where I can buy a hundred sheets of color, large format film and um, not feel it as badly. But, and some people are, are really blessed and they can um, kind of have their cake and eat it too. And that's awesome. But other people, you, know, you just have to like pick and choose what you're going to do. And, uh, for me, I love this workflow so much. And yeah, like 20 plus dollars for a sheet of film seems like this unfathomable, unimaginable sum of money. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely, um, to me, it's worth every penny. Uh, not all, not always. Like you should process film sometimes thinking, Oh, this is going to be so cool. And then you're like, Oh, that was shit. And I just, it's $22 and I could have like had a couple meals with that money. Um, but I, to be clear, I don't go without eating, but I, I do, you know, just avoid certain things and try to try to make sure that I never go without having several boxes of film on hand. That's a good way to go about it. Dave made an interesting thing here. He's like, um, it shouldn't really be a cost thing because people spend easily 4000 on digital setups, but film is pay-as-you-go. And that's what he finds intriguing about film is the pay-as-you-go aspect. Mm. Mm -hmm. Which I can kind of see, like, you know, I mean, you are going to spend probably a couple grand on um, an 8x10 setup easily, but then you only have to do that once. It's like you never have to upgrade that 8x10 rig like a digital where it's just like something newer and better comes out. So now you have to like go spend another like three to five grand and buy like that next fancy digital or whatever. Yeah, it's true. But then you have people like me who, um, and I don't think I'm unique in this, but it's like, yeah, the technology for film isn't really improving at this point, but there's still there's still so many things that I want to try. And okay. with the incredible like interest in large format photography now, it's um 
everything's just gotten so much more expensive. Like there's a couple of really long focal length lenses that I want to try for the eight by 10, but you know, you're conservatively like one of them I was looking at, it's like an eight or $10,000 lens. That's like Leica territory. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I won't be buying it, but it's like, um, so yeah, I, I think getting into film and building a setup is affordable and then yeah, you do pay as you go. But another thing that I'd say to Dave's comment is like in the digital world, you really, I think end up spending more money because yeah. it's not just the upfront cost that's more, but digital gear depreciates so quickly. And Sony is like Apple, you know, every year they're announcing a new replacement to their a seven. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> Alan says careful now on the like, comment. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, Hey, to each his own. Much like, love there, Alan. I, I just sent my M three off to get a CLA. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. The Zorky makes me really want a fucking Leica in a bad way now. Cause I went and shot a roll through it and it was just like, Huh. I kind of, I can see why people like these now. Well, yeah. And I'll say like, I got my M3 before, before this most recent wave of Leica craze. And I think I got my M3 for like 600 bucks, 500 bucks, something very affordable. And now I was looking, they're like two grand for really, really clean ones. Uh, maybe 1500 if you're lucky. But if if I hadn't gotten it when I did, I, I probably wouldn't buy one. Um, just because I think of how much film that is for 8 by 10 It's it's a lot of film. Like I missed out on an M4P with a Sumacron, like 50 mil Sumacron, I think it was, two years ago for 900 Canadian. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I missed it by, like, two minutes. The guy was like, I literally just sold it. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I I remember in um in 2014, I guess it was, I bought a Leica for the first time. I bought an M6 Classic and a 50 Sumicron V4. Um the guy wanted like 1250 bucks for it. And um now that would be like a $4500 easily. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. Um, I guess the market decides what things are worth, but um, yeah. And if Alan's listening or still watching, I'm still hoping that Leica comes out with a budget M film body. Um, no, I've said that a few times now. I don't think I'm dream. the only one. Yeah, yeah no, a boy can dream. I, I think it, it came up too when um, I was having the chat with Alan because I, I talked to him earlier this year on, on the, the program and uh, – the budget like uh, came up and uh yeah i mean the only red dot that i own that i could afford <laughs> was the like it instax mini <laughs> oh that's so good i love that yeah oh so as long if i do some sort of like show with it or something i could potentially be in one of the leica galleries because it, it is technically a leica so you know maybe one day hey. an instax mini thing <laughs> It's it's a Leica. It is. Um, that's so funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess there's so much gear craze out there. And, I, you know, really, it's most important that you're just 
if 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 collecting cameras and all that is what you're passionate about great but then also if you're trying to make photographs hopefully you just find a tool that lets you do that and and you just make work that's awesome Well, what yeah, the, is that up? an F5? What is yeah, that? This is an F5, yeah. Killer. So this is uh, this is Woodrow. Um, <laughs> he's he's my main camera, and that's because he's he's named after Woody Guthrie. So that's like my tribute to uh, to Woody Guthrie. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, but I, I agree with you on that one. Is like you know, too many people get obsessed with like the whole gear thing, and. Hmm. Um, like I see it on like the Facebook forums and stuff. People are like, you know, what's the best like, you know, camera to buy? I'm just getting started. And it's like, whatever you can afford, like, you know, just get yeah. something and just go shoot. Like, I mean, you know. hell, even buy a disposable. Yeah. Really? I mean, like uh, even like an HP5 disposable or something like how cool is that? I mean, sometimes the greatest thing is not having any choice in how that photograph's going to come out. It's... Well, yeah, like the, one of my favorite cameras that I like shooting the most right now is the Lomography reusable camera. Like mm -hmm. so cheap and chintzy, but I love the images out of it. Like, yeah, I've, I've put a couple rolls of Cinestill 800 through it, which. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But oh, it was gosh. cool, like, because it, it, it exposes at 400, so it overexposed the hell out of, like, the, the 800. Um, but the results of it were, like, really cool, because, like, I just used it for doing, like, daytime street photography, because it's so quiet. So you just kind of, like, wind it up, and just as you're walking, like, just fire off shots, and it was it was pretty cool for that. So I agree, like, disposables are a fantastic one. Uh, but Dave had a question here. What about images themselves? Isn't it the film stock and the lens at the end of the day? Yeah, no, I think that's really true. In fact, it kind of speaks to um, a message thread I had with with um, a guy here on Instagram recently. Um, you know, he just I got a message one day, kind of out of the blue, asking what lens I used for this portrait. And I mean, I answered the question, but then I I also delivered this aside about you know like. Um, for me, yeah, it, I mean, all of all of the decisions are important. The camera, the film, um, whether or not you used any supplemental uh, light modifiers or added flash, um, what lens you use. I mean, all these things matter. But at the same time, it's like I hope that when somebody looks at uh, you know a portrait, whether it's mine or somebody else's their first question isn't what lens was used, right? It's like, why did they make this portrait? Or maybe they're thinking, you know, why did they choose to include this part of the person and not the other? Um, or what's the expression? Like, what's happening in this photograph? Not what the hell lens did they use? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think about that when I look at pictures. Like, what, what I, like when I see a photo that's like a great photo to me, it's mm -hmm. something that made me 
feel something or like you know it just like kind of like hits you and you're just like holy shit like just something mind-blowing about that image or something you know like you connect to emotionally or something yeah Uh, cheers brian thanks for stopping in um yeah thanks for thanks for hanging out one of the photos that really still blows my mind um was one that I saw in Tulsa at the Philbrook. Uh, Larry Clark had um, a show there uh, Mm. in 2019. And there's like this one photo of his that is just, it's one of the most like striking images I've ever seen. It's a pregnant woman sitting in a chair. It's black and white. And there's just this like beautiful light. And like, it's just, she, she almost looks like angelic. And you're just like, really struck by like the beauty of like the image and then you realize that she's injecting heroin Mm. and you're just like it just kind Mm. of because that's not the first thing you notice like at first you just notice this like beauty of the light and this like silhouette of like this pregnant woman and then you see like the needle in her arm and like that was a great photo to me because it did so much feels to it it's just like right yeah like those are the kind of photos that i find that i'm really drawn to like you know something that like pulls you into it and you're just like really trying to like you know you get kind of like immersed in the moment that that someone shot there um it was really interesting yeah i think i don't know um there have been a few photos that have really stood out to me over the years and um early on and now even again recently it's been the work of two very different photographers um and if you shoot eight by ten they're pretty obvious but richard avedon and and joel meyerwitz um you know i i remember seeing certain still lives and landscapes and portraits in a book called cape light by joel meyerwitz uh, about six years ago and that just that is what made me decide it's like okay um i want to i want my camera and my love for photography to take me to places and to light and to people like this and you you get there by connections you get there by having conversations like this engaging in dialogue um you know about the subject about arts, culture, traveling, um, more so than you would by talking about gear all the time. Absolutely. Like someone makes a comment here, like no one asked Robert Frank what camera lens or film he used. They sure as hell don't. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like when I was looking at Larry Clark's work or like, you know, one of my favorite photographers, Jason Lee, like when I look at his work or like, you know, when I look at uh, Deanna Templeton's work, just anyone, I'm not like, Hmm. Yeah. What what film was this? Because it's like, oh, if if it wasn't like some obscure film, I'm gonna be like, oh, well, this is garbage. Then it would have been a great photo if you used like this this kind of thing. Um. Yeah. Like I really don't give a shit about that because it's just does the photo have like some kind of like like life to it or like something interesting where like you're you're drawn into it because like that's the difference between like a good photo and a great photo, I think, is, like, someone could take a really, like, technically good photo that, like, you know, exposure is perfect and, like, you know, all this stuff is right, but 
it's like it could be like sterile and kind of like boring where someone could like yeah take another photo that's you know, isn't technically perfect or anything but it just it has like so much emotion that when you look in at it you're like drawn into it like those are those are beautiful photos to me i i agree entirely and i was gonna say um i'm not sure i, I i'm not sure what your name is sorry but uh i was gonna say um cape light like when i saw this photograph for the first time it's like just clothes and sheets blowing in the wind yeah it just it like hit me like a brick wall like that is there's just so much warmth and vitality in the scene this whole book is just full of it's an epic collection the sequencing is incredible the use of color is some of the best I've ever seen. And um, this is a killer book. So anyone watching, if you haven't heard of Cape Light, strongly recommend it. I got this one at McKay's for like four bucks. And then another one from Joel that I love. It's a book called Redheads. And hmm. it's just, you know, eight by 10 portrait work of redheads. And here's Joel with his eight by 10. That's so um, cool. Yeah, I mean, this this is a photographer that uh, has spoken to me, like, just some of those images in so many ways over the years. Um, recently, Aperture put out another collection of his work from, I guess, Provincetown uh, up in Cape Cod. And I it was a lot of money for a book. And at the same time, as soon as it was available for order, I found a way to buy it because it's um, you know, you've kind of find those people that speak to you. And um, I think that's an important part of being a photographer too, though. It's like, there's an incredible thing about being able to be on the internet and see what work other people are sharing and, and posting. And that's awesome. But also, hopefully when COVID's done with, um, going to galleries and going to conferences and, um, you know, trying to shop around and look at photo books, yeah. attend an artist lecture. Um, there's so much more to the world of film photography or just photography in general. Who, you know, I could give a damn less, whether it's film or digital, as long as it says something. Um, Cause it's all just a tool at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I love film and I'm going to shoot film, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I just, you know, there's something really special about finding a few photographers you really, really love, the work really speaks to you, and um, pursuing that work. And I even, like, went to Provincetown uh, in 2017. I took Cape Light with me because I was just on a quest. It's like, I've got to go up here and see what this light is all about, and just spend a few days in this place where my favorite work was made and I didn't want to come back. Uh, but I, I feel that way about like Texas and the Midwest. Um, so like on, on the grams, I saw like all these like beautiful photos from like the Midwest and in Texas and stuff where just the light, it just looks so cool. And I was like, you know, how do they, how do they do that? Like, how do you get the photo to look like that? Right. Like, you just have to be there. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you just have to like be in that light. And, um, yeah, yeah absolutely. 
road trips through like the the Midwest uh, were were super cool, and um, I'm just like impatiently waiting for the border to open again because um, just been talking <laughs> to Armand about doing like a, a Texas to LA road trip and oh yeah like Marfa and stuff because I've always wanted to see Marfa and uh, you know there's just yeah. a bunch of shit that I'd love to see like along that uh, that, that route so well, if you do Texas to LA uh, I'm about an hour north of LA negative supply is so you'll have to come visit Definitely. We'll, we'll make a stop out of it. Like, you know. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I was going to say, I don't have a ton of time left this evening just because I've, I've got a few more things to do here at the office. But um, I did want to say I saw a few comments here from Dave about the importance of printing work. And that really speaks to me because the reason why I started shooting 4x5 color film uh, was because of the RA4 color darkroom process. All of the early work of my parents is 4 by 5 color negative, printed 16 by 20 in the color darkroom, and then, Damn. like, hand-cut window mats 20 by 24 inches. Um, so if I could print everything that way, I would. Um, I don't have access to a darkroom right now, but I've started kind of figuring out the steps to have my own up to eight by 10 RA4 darkroom. Cause that's, that's what I want. <laughs> Dave, I love your comments. Oh my God. Uh, excited about this. <laughs> yeah, I can, I couldn't tell. Um, you, you, might, you might have a wild Dave showing up to use your darkroom at some time. <laughs> that's great. I, I would love to meet you, Dave. In fact, I think I owe you a text message, but uh, yeah. No, um, but no, printing your work is, there's such value, there's such beauty in it, and, and black and white, too. I mean, I, I loved, you know, the biggest I printed silver gelatin is 20 by 24, but, and that's hard as hell to do, because, you know, the, the lens is way up at the ceiling, and I'm like five foot seven, so I'm like on a step ladder trying to change <laughs> things, and about to fall and break my neck, um, and then you're, you know, oscillating and and uh you know agitating these huge trays uh with like eight liters of chemistry in them um but no seriously printing your work there's probably nothing better yeah i don't um, disagree like it's important to like you know do some prints of your work and just like if, if you're shooting digital or if, even if you're shooting film and just getting scans like, you know, order, order some prints, like next time you drop your film off, just like, you know, get them yeah. prints of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, that's why I love shooting Polaroid is like mm -hmm. an instant print and uh, you have something that's immediately tangible, which is, is kind of. Yeah, fun. there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, in fact, I think some of my recent work, I'm probably going to have Mark at Northeast Photographic do some archival, just digital pigment prints. Uh, which isn't the same. Uh, and I hate when people try to say that it is, is or is close to it because uh, it's not. But archival pigment prints are awesome. They're just different. And um, so I'm going to be pretty excited to just see more work. Um, you know, 8 by 10s probably I'll go something in the realm of like a 20 by 24 and from a really good scan. And... Uh, 
we'll see how it goes. Never been, someone asked earlier, and I totally spaced on because we were talking about other stuff. Can you do eight by ten Polaroid scans with a negative supply scanner? Yes, you can. You can use the eight by ten film holder for eight by ten Polaroid. The max scanning area of our holder is eight point seven five by ten point seven five, which is enough of an area to get the Polaroid rebate. Uh, okay. We actually have a couple people that bought it explicitly to scan eight by ten Polaroids. Nice. Um, so it does work out that way. I will say our eight by ten film holder is like on perpetual back order, and um, it has so many machine parts. It's a great tool, um, but if anyone's interested in that, I would encourage them to message me, and I can try and let you know about lead times. We don't even have it available for order right now. Okay. Um, because it's just, it was very popular very quickly. Um, and we're just, I think we're, we're essentially out of them at the moment. So I might have to hit you up about that once I get into the wild world of 8 by 10 Give me a call. Yeah. Happy <laughs> to help. Um, yeah. It. But, and there are other good ways to scan 8 by 10 film. I mean, I, I don't want people to think they, you know, I have to go, spend X number of dollars with, with these guys. But um, I do think we're one of the few organizations out there right now innovating and creating new scanning solutions for 4x5 and 8x10 that are part of a complete system that really works to revolutionize the way you scan film. Um, Dig it. Dave says here he's going to go skate before the sun sets, but you should hit do it because... He wants to take a portrait of you for his photographic or portrait of photographer series. Yes. You, you, you might have to make a trip up to the Bay Area. I'm, I'm already planning on it. I want to go up to Point Reyes and San Rafael and all that. So you got it, Dave. I owe you a text. So enjoy your skating and we'll catch up soon. If you end up out there, you got to stop by Sam's Chowder House in Half Moon Bay and oh, go have some chowder there. I'm already excited about that. Yeah, it's... It's, it's really great. cool. Half Moon Bay is, is a really beautiful, it's a nice drive too. Like um, you can take the back road to Palo Alto and um, you go through like a bit of the rolling hills and stuff and it, it's beautiful yeah. out there. It's, it, yeah, I've only been up that way a couple of times, never, never really spent any time, but I'll, I'll have to course correct and fix that. Yeah, and if um, you hit up Brian Brooks, he can, he can show you around and he'll probably give you a tour of the underdog lab. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I honestly, whenever I know I'm going to go up there, I'm going to try and make like four or five days of it and just probably take my tent and my truck and camp along the way and find some cool places to hang out and hopefully some cool, cool people to grab a beer with or shoot some film. So it's amazing. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the chat. And, of course. You know, it's always fun to do these things. Um, you know, if, if you know anyone else or if anyone wants to be part of it, feel free to like send me a message. I'm still always actively looking for more uh, people. Uh, next week, I'm going to have uh, a pal of mine, an old uh, Instagram pal, Monica from uh, Vancouver. She's going to be on and uh, that should be a really interesting talk to you. She uh, helps co-manage a, a studio space in Vancouver there. So awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for your time and thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, stay safe out there and uh, you know, we'll see you next week. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. Cheers, man. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one. Right. Thanks everyone. Bye.